Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and today we're finally going to be talking about one of my favourite, if not the favourite, Marvel superhero. The time has come. Disney has opened the floodgates, and I'm going to talk about the Avatar of Khonshu, the protector of night travellers, the hero with many personalities, Moon Knight. I should explain from the start, this isn't going to be as simple as discussing some of the A-list superheroes. I know that some of them have relatively complex backstories, and there are debates over what is canon and what isn't, but few can compare to the complex history of Moon Knight. So while I'm going to cover the details of the different runs of MK's comics and his place in the Marvel Universe, I'm also going to dip into my take on Moon Knight, his relationship with Khonshu, and his alter egos. So that we have a baseline to work towards as we discuss Moon Knight's history and evolution, I want to provide a quick, high-level overview of who Moon Knight is and bring us up to the current iteration. Mark Spector, son of a rabbi, is a skilled mercenary who suffered disassociative identity disorder as a child. Mark would disappear, replaced by a personality called Stephen Grant. This was brought about by a possible traumatic event. To escape himself, Mark joined the military and found he had a talent for it, but struggled to fit in. After a number of years, he left the forces to become a mercenary. Travelling the world, he accumulated a great deal of wealth, working for different parties, both good and bad. During this time, he forms a strong friendship with a fellow mercenary, Jean-Paul de Champ, better known as Frenchie. One fateful mission, Mark and Frenchie join a group led by Raoul Bushman, a former warlord and renowned killer, who wears white skull face paint and has sharpened his teeth to a point. The mission is to attack and steal from an archaeological dig in the Egyptian desert. When the archaeologists resist, Bushman orders them killed. Mark refuses and Bushman turns on him, beating him nearly to death. Mark is left behind with a few who remain from the archaeological dig, including Marlene Aluran. It is unclear whether Mark actually dies, however, he experiences a visitation from the Egyptian god of the moon, Khonshu, who grants him life on one condition, that Mark becomes his avatar on Earth. Regaining consciousness, Mark dons a white shroud and goes after Bushman and his crew. He takes some form of justice and returns to the States with Marlene. They form a relationship, and Mark dedicates himself to fighting crime. To do this, he adopts several character personalities. Mark Spector remains, but he uses Stephen Grant to make his way in polite society, Jake Lockley to sniff out info on the streets as New York cabbie, using a team of low-level informants. These are also joined, or combined, to become Moon Knight. To begin with, these characters are just that. Disguises, used to help fight crime. However, over time, and under the stresses of being a hero, the characters would start to become distinct personalities once again. Mark would struggle to maintain the relationship with Marlene and his crime-fighting world became more and more erratic. Mark would fight and deny the need for the personalities, spending several years as just Mark Spector. Unfortunately, Mark would be called upon, like many heroes, to sacrifice his life for the greater good. He was eventually resurrected once again, more unstable than ever, and the personalities were back. His crime fight had continued, but his mental state declined until he eventually snapped in a rooftop fight with Bushman, 
Sick of the constant fighting and holding back, Moon Knight goes the whole way and crosses the line. He kills Bushman and cuts off his face. This ostracises Mark from the hero community and friends, leaving him a broken man. Bitter, crippled and relying on medication, he makes a plea to Konshu to help him. In the past, Konshu has mostly been a symbolic figure, the deity of his fixation. This is about to change as Konshu appears to Mark in the guise of a faceless Bushman. Or does he? For a time, Mark is both guided and goaded by this entity that no one else can see. His tactics remain violent and excessive, putting him at odds with elements of the superhero community. He eventually attempts to redeem himself and return to a more heroic stance, which rebuilds some bridges and gets him a spot on Steve Rogers' Secret Avengers team. However, his mental state is still fragile and he continues to move around, spending time in Los Angeles before finally returning to New York. Back in New York, he refocuses his efforts, introducing a new side to Moon Knight, Mr. Knight. Mr. Knight maintains the white moon aesthetic, but now wears an all-white suit, as well as his mask. It appears on the outside that he has more of a hold on his demons and is able to alternate between his guises with ease. However, behind closed doors, he is still continuing his conversations with an entity that claims to be Konshu. This struggle persists while he continues his crime fighting. However, it culminates in a mental battle in his psyche. This initial breakdown takes him through a New York flooded in sand and populated by beings of Egyptian mythology. His battle through the streets of New York leads him to work through his previous personalities and experiences, pushing him closer and closer to the edge. On a journey through different dimensions and time periods, eventually fighting back, Mark is able to take control, accepting his mental state as part of who he is and pushing the Konshu aspect into a more cooperative position. For now. Back in control of wanting to get back on the streets, Moon Knight is confronted by several new obstacles to overcome. The first is a new meta-being that can ma manipulate fire, who calls himself the Sun King. The second is finding that Mark, or more accurately, his personality, Jake Lockley, is a father. Okay, now I said this is a pretty high level overview of Mark's story to date. I'm guessing there are Moon Knight fans out there screaming at me for missing things out, like his psychotic brother, that time he had powers linked to the phases of the moon, and the period he spent in adamantium armour because he was melting. Don't worry, I will get to each of these, but before I do, I want to talk about how I came across Moon Knight. Moon Knight during the Houston and Finch run, which started in 2006. I was getting back into comics in a big way following Civil War and wanted to try some new characters. I picked up the second issue in the run and had no clue what was going on but was fascinated by the characters and David Finch's art. I dipped in and out of the room with, you know, from there and bought the first trade collection of the run called The Bottom. As soon as it came out, 
I wanted to know more about Moon Knight and was still very much focusing on A-list characters at the time. The big one being going back and collecting all of Ed Brubaker's Captain America run. It's my favourite Cap run of all time. Like seriously. It may even be one of those best runs of all time. Full stop. It wasn't until 2010 that my Moon Knight addiction would kick into high gear. I was in Whitby, North England for the day and visited a small second-hand bookshop. In among the many books was a box filled with comics. It contained a bunch of 2000 AD, some Batman. In addition to all the usual, it had some more unusual issues. There were some uh, Nomad from the 90s, and a small stack of Moon Knight. There were three or four issues from MK's first solo run, and about Eight issues from the third volume, Mark Spector, Moon Knight. At 50p an issue, I just had to get them. I read through them all in a few days, and then started looking for any collected editions online. I was shocked to find that these early runs hadn't been collected other than in an out-of-print and pretty expensive set of three-volume essential collections. Unperturbed, I went online and created a full list of the runs, how long each run was, and if there was any special editions or annuals. Almost ten years later, and I have a complete collection of every solo run of Moon Knight, all his early appearances, and his time on several teams, the West Coast Avengers and the Secret Avengers. I also managed to get those Essential Collection volumes, and most other collected editions. It's a pretty impressive collection if I so say so myself. I don't mean to brag, but I thought it was important to explain how much I love the character, and how I got into him. So, let's get talking about Moon Knight. Mooney's first appearance was in Werewolf by Night 32 in 1975 in a story called The Stalker Called Moon Knight. Bit on the nose. Written by Doug Munch and drawn by Don Perlin. He was introduced as a villain to the werewolf, Jack Russell. No, seriously, that's what he was called. Mercenary Mark Spector is recruited by the Syndicate to take out Jack, the werewolf by night. He requests a silver suit, including silver spike knuckles, and goes to work tracking down Russell. Over issues 32 and 33, the story unfolds, with Moon Knight capturing the werewolf and handing him over to the syndicate. However, in the final pages, he frees Jack Russell and fights alongside him. In the end, he has proven himself a goodish guy, and he gets paid. In these introductory issues, several elements are introduced that are a key part of the character, even today. We get the basic costume with the hood and the crescent moon motif. However, the suit is supposed to be silver. From a colourist perspective, I understand why it became white very quickly. Also, the unusual choice to have the top part of the cape loop round and join Moon Knight's wrist gauntlets. It's, it's unique, but not a look that has aged well and raises a bunch of questions around the practicality. I'm sure it makes fighting harder, as well as like get caught on door handles and stuff like that. We've all done it. The other things to note are the names. Mark Spector and the fact that he is a mercenary are established from the get-go. These parts become the foundation of the rest of the backstory is built around. It should also be noted that Mark doesn't arrive alone. He arrives in style with a white helicopter and its pilot, Jean-Paul Duchamp, a.k.a. Frenchie. The character made an impact and with the story being left open-ended, the option was there to bring Mark back. In fact, he made such an impact that his next appearance was in Marvel Spotlights 28 and 29 in June and August 1976. While his first appearance in Werewolf by Night had provided slim details about his character, Marvel Spotlight provided Doug Munch and Don Pearl in the opportunity to give the character more 
depth. In all honesty, the story's a bit naff. Moon Knight has to take on Conquer Lord, a weak villain created specifically for this story who hasn't appeared since. I mean, he has its fun moments, but I couldn't recommend it as a good reflection of Moon Knight. However, the issues do expand on the world of Mooney, introducing a load of things that have become key foundation stones to his mythology. A cornerstone of the story is that Conquer Lord has a spy in the Moon Knight camp and has compiled a dossier on MK. This may propel the story, but it is also utilised as a massive exposition dump. It is this info drop that we learn from for the first time about the different personalities or disguises of Mark Spector, i.e. Cabby, Jake Lockley, and millionaire Stephen Grant. Also, the wealth used to support Grant's persona was acquired from his mercenary days. And a millionaire needs a flash pad. So we also get shown Grant Mansion, with the secret entrance from the outside pool to an inside pool, situated in the bedroom. I'm not sure if this is like a 70s thing or some sort of dream of Munch. Um, you might have thought it was clever. But this Paul stuck around for way too long, well into his solo series. Of course, waiting for Mark in the bedroom is his girl Friday. At this stage, Marlene Fontaine. She would get a name change in a few short years. For Moon Knight himself, the costume remains the same, but he now has Frenchie piloting the Mooncopter, a stylish helicopter that will change again and again. The story also provides the first appearance of two of Jake Lockley's on-the-street informants, the well-spoken, teabag-carrying homeless squire, Crowley, an ageing bum that is abreast of the word on the street and is willing to tell about it for a hot cup of water in which he can put his saved teabag. Crowley becomes a staple of later runs and will even be Jake's conscience on occasion. The second is Gina and her diner, the hangout for Lockley and Crowley. Moonlight would later utilise her sons for sneaky street snooping. It's pretty impressive that in only his second appearance, Moon Knight is getting his mythology this well flashed out. Not many characters get this much info and world building so early on. Saying that, we are yet to get a glimpse of Konshu, or the possibility of supernatural powers. Over the next few years, Moon Knight guested in other character books, each time being shown more as a hero always as an outsider. The key issues to highlight are The Defenders, issues 47 to 51 from 1977, in which Moon Knight really starts to interact with the wider Marvel Universe. It also highlights a running notion for Moon Knight that he never works well on teams, despite joining several over his career. The story is silly 70s Marvel fun, written by David Kraft the second person to write the Moon Knight character. The series has a very different tone to what was done by Munch, however Kraft does manage to maintain the essence of the character. The team-up is also noteworthy for this being the first time that Moon Knight will cross paths with Scorpio and Zodiac, but it will not be the last. After this, Mooney shared the page with Spider-Man in Spectacular Spider-Man 22 and 23, and the ever-loving thing in Marvel 2-in-1, 52. These are throwaway stories and add little to the character, however they are noteworthy for the first interactions with other Marvel characters. While MK was playing in the wider Marvel pool, he was also being developed elsewhere, once again from the pen of Doug Monch. In the backup strips of Hulk magazine between issues 11 and 20, Monch started to expand the mythology of the character and set a tone for the character's future. It turned out the editor of Hulk magazine, Ralph Maschio, was a fan of Moon Knight and wanted to give Monch a, a chance to do more with the character, so offered the backup strip for a number of issues. These stories and a follow-up in Marvel Preview 21 are an excellent collection. In addition, the plotting and dialogue of Munch 
Moon Knight also gets introduced by the excellent Bill Sinkovich for the first time. The reason these issues are so important is because they are able to be more experimental. Werewolf by Night was a horror comic. However, after that, MK had been dropped straight into the superheroics of the wider Marvel Universe. It was fine, and Mooney got to show how tough he is, but he always felt apart from it all. He never really fit in. With these backup stories in Hulk magazine, Munch can push Moon Knight back into the darker, lower levels of the Marvel Universe. Not only that, he is able to expand the story over several issues and lets the character and world breathe. The first story covers the first two issues and is a proper murder mystery. MK is on the trail of a murderer and becomes embroiled in a wider mystery about smuggling artefacts. This provides the first Egyptian connection, but still, no Khonshu. Although by the second issue, the daft wrist cape thing is gone, to be replaced by the much better flowing white cape. The story is a great departure from his previous outings as it shows him as a detective as well as a skilled and tough combatant. At this stage it's possible to understand where the Batman comparisons start to come from. Millionaire Stephen Grant takes up most of the non-hero time, but there is so much from here already. His relationship with Marlene alludes to deeper issues, especially when he has difficulty passing from one personality to the other. It's clear that Munch has ideas for this at this stage already. The first story still has some of the superhero camp, but is definitely presenting a departure from what has come before. This becomes more and more evident as these issues progress. The second story provides more exposition. For those that have missed Marvel Spotlight, as Conquer Lord's files are used up by a new villain in a swashbuckling dark adventure. Also worth noting, this story contains a clear reference to his strength being affected by the phases of the moon. This is a real sort of shady area that we may get into at a later date as well. The art is finally by Bill Sinkovich in a Neil Adams mould and it's something wonderful to behold. From the get-go he understands the character and how he should, be, should look and move. He creates a lithe athlete that slinks in and out of the shadows and is always the centre of the fight. His panel work and pencils are stunning. I can look at these pages for hours just admiring the work. While Don Perlin created the initial design, there have been three artists that have created an impact in Moon Knight that has shifted the direction of the character. The first is Sinkovich in these pages. The other two we'll get to soon. After this first adventure, Munch and Sinkovich become even more experimental, with a story being told from two perspectives in an eclipse waning and eclipse waxing. Moon Knight and the Hulk both unaware of the other's involvement. It's a fun dip back into the Marvel world before the finale of the series, the final three-parter in which Moon Knight takes on an axe-wielding serial killer. This finale gets dark, and is in stark contrast to the brightly coloured fun MK had with the Defenders and Spider-Man. The body count is high, and the killing's bloody. This is more akin to an early slasher than your typical Marvel fare. Now, I'm going to reveal who the killer is, so if you don't want a spoiler, skip ahead a few minutes. However, it is important to understand who Mark Spector is. It's revealed by the second part that the killer is Mark's brother, Randall Spector. He has held a grudge for ten years, based out of a mental disturbance. This is the first real sign of mental illness on the Spector family and flashbacks to Mark's childhood. The battle between the brothers rages on and ends with Randall being defeated in a pretty final fashion. This takes a toll on Mark and makes him question things. This is handled wonderfully in a prologue part 3 in which Moon Knight patrols the street waiting for information on Marlene who was injured in the fight with Randall. This brings an end to the Hulk magazine appearance but this experimental and darker tone is continued in one final story before he gets his own title. 
MK is given a short story in Marvel Preview 21, once again from the Munch and Sinkovich team. Having done swashbuckling, mystery and horror, they turn their attention to spy thriller. Mark is sent the beaten body of one of his old contacts from the CIA and investigates government conspiracies involving weaponised mind control. It's a great story and once again expands Moon Knight's history, introducing his time with the CIA in more detail. In addition to this, Marlene is finally given more agency as she accompanies Moon Knight on the final mission and gets to kick some ass. The Hulk issue stories in Marvel Preview 21 were very popular and reprinted a couple of times in different formats. The best, in my opinion, is a hardback edition called Countdown to Dark. This comes with several pages of Sinkovich pin-up art, which is worth the price alone. These stories are what made Moon Knight what he is today. It's incredible to see the journey of Moon Knight in the first few years. His appearance in Werewolf by Night as a villain turned anti-hero. The awkward desire to push him into the superhero community of the Marvel Universe to finally finding his feet in the back issues of Hulk magazine. The essence of Moon Knight is that he continues to evolve, but at this moment in 1980, he has been fleshed out and is more interesting than most characters in the Marvel pantheon. It's no wonder that Marvel decided to give him his own series, and who better to do it than Doug Munch and Bill Sinkovich. printed in Moon Knight 15, published in January 1982, Munch mentions that MK's popularity was bolstered by a Japanese Moon Knight TV show. It appears that this is linked to the deal Marvel made in Japan in 1978. This led to the Japanese Spider-Man series, but Moon Knight was not made into a live action series. However, there does appear to have been a short run of Moon Knight manga stories. The images are very rare, they have never been published outside of Japan, but they were apparently quite popular. There was also a show called Moonlight Mask, which was very popular in Japan between February 1958 and July 1959. The character's origin is very different, but the look is surprising. I'll put a link in the show notes to a YouTube video of the show. In the article, Munch adds an interesting sentence that he has built on an old concept of using different personas while keeping the character sane. Munch's position, at least in 1982, was that Mark was sane but trying to escape a brutal past. It's fascinating that even as this initial run progresses, Mark's grip on sanity is called into question. The first issue was released in November 1980. Very few issues were collected up to this period, so Munch has to assume readers haven't read all or any of Moon Knight's previous appearances. He embraces this and uses issue one as a true jumping on point and a chance to provide a definitive history for the character. The book opens with a detailed recounting of his origin as a mercenary with Frenchie, working for Raoul Bushman, and the attack on a Sudanese rebel base. Near the base is a dig being headed by Dr. Al-Aran and his daughter, Marlene. Following the attack, Bushman kills Dr. Al-Aran, where he tries to stop the skull-faced terrorist. Mark finds Marlene and tries to drive her out of town for her own protection. Raoul, frustrated at her escape, kills the innocent villagers remaining. This is too much for Mark to take, who confronts Bushman about his actions. The two fight. Mark is defeated and left for dead in the desert. 
Found by Marlene, he is taken to a nearby ancient temple. After a quick inspection, Mark is declared dead, and once again he is left to be claimed by the desert. Soon, in the shadow of a statue of the moon god Conchu, Mark regains consciousness, or life. Donning a shroud pulled from the statue, Mark pursues Bushman and the rest of his team, intent on taking vengeance. However, Bushman escapes and Mark returns to the States with Marlene. But Mark re-establishes himself as Stephen Grant, millionaire about town, as well as starting his career as Moon Knight, now established as an avatar of Konshu. While following the trail of a drug shipment, Moon Knight comes across a skull insignia pendant worn by the thugs. Using Jake Lockley and his street-level informants, he's able to establish that Bushman has also set himself up in New York. Tracking him down, there is a confrontation, and Mark gives Bushman a beating, but leaves him bleeding in the shadow of one of his crescent darts. This brings us up to the end of the first issue of Moon Knight's first solo run. We've covered his evolution, but from his first appearance to his first solo issue. It was quite a journey between 1975 and 1980, but there is so much more to cover. So that we can cover it all, from this point on, I'm going to discuss each of the runs in a wider sense. The first run ran for 38 issues, predominantly written by Doug Monch and drawn by Bill Sinkovich. Across the 38 issues, Sinkovich's style becomes more established and more distinctive. MK remains a lithe, athletic acrobat, which Sinkovich demonstrates time and again with great art and panel structure. Every issue he does the art for looks amazing, and there are pages that are true standouts. If you're a fan of comic art, this series is a great example of the best of early 80s style. It will influence artists well up to today. Regarding the stories in the issues, they keep Moon Knight street level, taking on gangsters, thugs, murderers and the odd corporate baddie. However, they do throw in some supernatural shenanigans to keep things interesting. These villains are used to deliver a series of issues that range from fun superhero romps to satires of the cycle of abuse, mental health issues, morality in a small community and dealing with the loss and betrayal. Munch introduces a string of one-off low-level villains for many of the issues, but also creates a string of repeat antagonists, building up an early rogues gallery for Moon Knight combat. The ones I think worthy of mention are the returning Bushman, of course, Stained Glass Scarlet, a former nun who goes on a path of vengeance, killing the mobsters that took her son away from her, but not in the way that you would think. She returns several times in the future and is a brilliantly conflicted character that I would love to see return. Midnight Man, an art thief who leads Moon Knight on a merry dance that ends in death. While not a particularly interesting character in his own right, his eventual fate has implications for several future runs, which we'll get to. Black Spectre, or Carson Knowles, a low-level thug and criminal who's tired of being beaten by heroes and decides to take on the city in two fronts. First as the new crime lord villain, Black Spectre, and second as the city's mayor. He acts as a direct counter to Moon Knight, a corruption of Mark's mission as he wishes to corrupt the city in any way possible, and if possible, get rich doing it. Morpheus, a man changed to a monster by science. Originally, Robert Markham, he took a sleep drug to which he reacted badly. It mutated him and gave him the ability to use the Black Dream Ebon Energy as a weapon to attack people. His target, a doctor, Pete, you've guessed it, Aloran. Marlene's brother, so of course Moon Knight has to take him down. Morpheus appears in the run several times, but has not been used much since. He's a horror figure that should really make a comeback. As well as enemies, he gains an ally of sorts. In the same issue that Morpheus is introduced, issue 12, Detective Flint is also introduced. 
Flint is a New York detective that is tired of the freaky stuff that is going on on the streets. Over time he will become an ally, an informant of Moon Knight. He will appear in many of the future volumes. He will remain an honest, if slightly weary, detective. This run ranges from good to great, for, for the most part. In a run of 38 issues, there are some that are a bit weak, but on average this is a really strong, experimental and fun run. It has finally been fully collected in the first three volumes of the Moon Knight Epic Collection. It's a perfect starting point for anyone wanting to get to know more about Moon Knight. Unfortunately, the solid work does not continue. This initial run lasted 38 issues, however, due to a move from general sales to specialist shops, sale numbers dropped off and the book was cancelled. The final issue came out in July 1984. It was a year before Moon Knight got his next run, a six-issue series called The Fist of Khonshu. These six issues are not very good. The art from Chris Warner is solid, However, the newly designed suit leans heavily into the Egyptian motif, with a gold belt, gold wristbands, an ankh chest symbol. It's the writing, though. The stories are sloppy and have moved away from the street-level grit of Munch to a more fantasy and comic camp. Moon Knight is now being instructed by three Khonshu priests as floating heads that only Mark can see. It is this run where his strength being linked to the phase of the moon is mentioned most. It's the worst power ever. It's not a surprise that this only lasted six issues. It doesn't get much better from there. For some reason, Marvel makes the decision that rather than return Mark back to his previous role, to attach him to the West Coast Adventures. They basically continue the mess that was Fist of Khonshu, but in the West Coast Avengers. They travel through time, Moon Knight takes on Scorpio and Zodiac again, but overall it's the worst case of comic silliness. The main thing to note is that during this period, Mark was on a break from Marlene and had a short affair with Tigra. In an era when we're getting Saga of the Swamp Thing, The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen from DC, we also get the would-have-been-silly-in-the-60s West Coast Adventures. Luckily, this wasn't to be permanent, and Moon Knight was to be given his own solo title once again. And this one was going to be a long run. In June 1989, we got issue 1 of Mark Spector, Moon Knight. This is Moon Knight's longest run at 60 issues, and contains some brilliant and terrible work. This volume really tones down the alternate personalities and focuses on Mark Spector, as you might have guessed. The book takes an adventure tone to begin with, provided by the great Chuck Dixon. Who else to start the series than Bushman? Mark follows a trail to Africa to take on the Warlord. It's a great kick-off to the series, realigning Moonlight closer to his roots and harkening back to his work as a mercenary for the CIA. After this, we are introduced to Midnight, a potential new sidekick, and the son of Midnight Man, an enemy of Moon Knight who perished way back in issue 10 of the first volume. Throwing a new dynamic at Spectre, which is great fun and pushes Mark in different ways. Mark persists in pushing him away until he finally stops and switches sides, becoming a challenge of a different kind. He is finally defeated in issue 23, but that is not the end of the story for Midnight. The first 30 issues of the series are actually pretty solid. Mark crosses paths with the Punisher, Spider-Man and Ghost Rider from the wider Marvel Universe, each time remaining with the remit of a street-level hero with supernatural overtones. Two story arcs worthy of shout-out are The Trial of Mark Spector, issues 15-18, to 18, Written by Chuck Dixon, Mark is taken to trial for th- overthrowing a small government during his mercenary years, while back home, Midnight has donned the cape and hood and is trying to be a new Moon Knight. The second is Scarlet Redemption, which is in issues 26-31, to 31, written by J.M. DeMattis. 
the return of stained glass scarlet and having killed her son in the first volume she is tormented by her guilt and confusion over the abuse she suffered she has reached the conclusion that the world is evil and must burn unless moon knight can stop her after this the rest of the series devolves into 90s nonsense Randall Spector returns for some fun and then Moon Knight becomes infected with a mystery illness that requires him to wear an adamantium armour to keep him together. We move away from the street level informers to a hologram council of advisors and informants and Moon Knight argues with the Avengers. The writing gets weaker and weaker from Terry Kavanagh and the art becomes more 90s, not in a good way. The series comes to an explosive end with a final burst from writer Kavanagh and artist Stephen Platt. Moon Knight takes on an enemy called Seth and his Zero Virus. The end result is Mark sacrificing himself and dying once again. The series came to an end with issue 60 in March 1994. None of this series has ever been collected. Despite its flaws, I'm hoping that the epic collection gets to the run very soon. Moon Knight stayed dead for four years. He is returned to life by Conchu via an exploding statue of Conchu in 1998 in a four-issue miniseries called The Resurrection Wars, written by Doug Munch with art by the excellent Tommy Lee Edwards. In the past, it had always been ambiguous. In the past, it had always been ambiguous as to whether Conchu existed, let alone brought Mark back from death. However, it is again called into question when it is made clear that Morpheus is working behind the scenes with Black Spectre and Bushman. Putting his doubts aside, Moon Knight teams with Stained Glass Scarlet to take the villains on. In four issues, Moch once again reminds us why Moon Knight is such a great dark character. This is a trip back to the character work of the first run and re-establishes him as the avatar of Konshu and the hero that takes on the weird. This is explored in more detail in a second four-issue series, High Strangers, also in 1998. Again from Munch, with art from Mark Texaria, might say that wrong, Moon Knight is once again haunted by his CIA past and takes on a cult with red dragon tattoos that are conducting experiments on the homeless. This series harkens back to Marvel Preview 21 as well as several stories from the first run. Taken as an 8 issue munch run, these two arcs are top flight and eradicates a lot of the bad feeling from the last half of the Mark Spector Moon Knight run. Despite these being so good, they were only a small success, and despite some minor appearances, Moon Knight did not return until 2006, and Charlie Houston is going to give Mark a really hard time. I also mentioned that there have been three artists that have had a major impact on the character over the years. Since Sinkovich, several artists have given variances to the costume, but none have stuck. In 2006, David Finch sticks with the original costume design, but his style brought something new to the book and was perfect for the tone that Houston was aiming for. While Mooney hasn't been on the page, Moon Knight has been busy and we find that in the intervening years, life hasn't been happy. Mark has had his own fall from grace when during another battle with Bushman and having been pushed too far, he sacrifices his body to take Bushman down. However, prison or exile isn't enough this time. Mark kills Bushman and cuts off his face. Crippled by his wounds, addicted to painkillers and abandoned by those closest to him, Mark is left in Grant Mansion, bitter and alone and just wanting to be a hero once again. It is in this series that Mark's sanity is really called into question. He is pushed to his limits and is looking for a way back. Houston does a brilliant job of reminding us of Mark's past and his involvement in different dark agencies. I'm not sure if it's the same files as the ones used by Conquerlord and Lupine way back in the 70s, but the same trope is used as the Syndicate make a return and use an, in an informant called Profile to track down and profile 
Moon Knight. We get to know more about Mark as a character. Being at rock bottom makes him a man with nothing to lose. This may be what pushes him over the edge, but he is visited by Konshu, or a mental image of his own creation. Either way, it appears as the dead, defaced Bushman. From here, the series rocks on. We get the return of Midnight, Moon Knight's former possible sidekick, back for revenge for his father and not being good enough. Moon Knight goes in for assessment during the Civil War, only to reject his registration card, becoming an outlaw vigilante. He takes on Norman Osborn and the Dark Avengers, giving several of them a bit of a beating, including Bullseye. All the while pushing his methods further and further away from what is accepted by the superhero community. Finally, having to run to Mexico to hide out, only to take on two wrestling hitmen and a Mexican deity with the Punisher. This series is excellent, and was the first series I bought directly from the local comic shop. It's fun, and it's a lot closer to the original run than any that came from the years between. It lasted 30 issues, and takes Mark from the bottom, through a violent redemption, and to the point of realising that his methods must change if he is to move on and return to New York. This run was collected in five volumes, both hard and paperback, and this is in fact the first Moon Knight series to be fully collected in its totality. It's an odd run in the sense that it carries a lot of legacy, bringing back the Syndicate, Midnight and Carson Knowles, but it's also a great jumping on point. It provides an overview of the character and his history. In addition to this, the story is one of redemption and climbing back to the top. So you get to follow Mark on that climb and reach the final conclusion. Having decided that there are better ways, Mark returns to New York with a new mission and a new costume for ten issues known as The Vengeance of the Moon Knight. Returning, but now predominantly using the name Jake Lockley, MK now wears a new armour-plated costume and employs non-lethal tactics. He faces an enemy of villains including Bushman, raised from the dead, with, the, with his face intact. Moon Knight overcomes the odds and maintains his now non-lethal ethics. This includes teaming with several other heroes, which impresses then Commander Steve Rogers. Seeing that he can be trusted, Rogers invites him to join the Secret Avengers. During the Ed Brubaker run on Secret Avengers, MK plays a part in an interstellar adventure and proves that he can work as part of a team. Warren Ellis followed Brubaker and introduced Mr Knight, but without naming him. Moon Knight's appearances in these issues, especially the Ellis run, are great fun, and the Ellis issues do give a hint of what he might do if he was to be given a run on Mark. At the time, Moon Knight becomes embroiled in a daredevil event, Shadowland. Daredevil has become the leader of the Hand and is becoming more and more ruthless. Moon Knight teams with several other heroes to bring him down. However, in the process, a new avatar of Konshu rises up, calling himself Shadow Knight. These two eventually meet for a final confrontation and it is revealed that Shadow Knight is actually Randall Specter, Mark's brother. Before the confrontation, Marlene had let it slip that she was in fact pregnant. However, this is put at risk when she is beaten by Randall. This enrages Moon Knight who takes him on and circumstances result in the killing of Randall during the fight. Being forced to kill again pushes Moon Knight over the edge and resurfaces Mark Spector as the dominant personality once again. Sort of feeling back on track, if somewhat imbalanced, Mark leaves Marley and moves to Los Angeles and works on turning his life story into a movie. However, the cape and hood are never far away. While he is maintaining the Mark Spector persona, he develops three new aspects that he calls into action for advice and during fights. He now uses Captain America, Spider-Man and Wolverine. Mark is able to utilise the fighting style of each as he is joined by Echo and takes on Count Nefaria. This 12-issue run, starting in 2012, was written by Brian Michael Bendis and drawn by the always good Alex Maleev. 
The series is okay, but it's very Bendis, filled with quips and heavy dialogue. He may have written an excellent Daredevil, but he really does not understand the character of Moon Knight. This this series starts to undo the good work that has been done in the previous two runs. Honestly feels like we are paddling in the waters of the Fist of Khonshu, or the worst of Mark Spector Moon Knight. I do have this in the oversized hardback edition, but this is only to enjoy in the best possible format. The series ends with Mark deciding that he needs to leave Hollywood, and he's going to return to New York again. Mark finds his way back to the Big Apple and returns in 2014. Warren Ellis, working with Declan Shelby, created a six-issue run of one-off issues that are tied together in the sixth issue. The first issue fully introduces the white suit-wearing Mr Knight. I've already mentioned the impact of Bill Sinkovich and Dave Finch. Declan Shelby is the third artist to have a direction-changing impact on the character. To make Moon Knight, and especially Mist Knight, stand out in a spectral way, he worked with colourist Geordie Belair to create a method in which anything white worn by Mist Knight is just left page white, the only shading being that of the inked pencils. It creates an unreal effect of Moon Knight almost being separate from the world. The issues are Ellis at his A-game, imaginative and striking. One of the issues acts as a sequel, of sorts, to a two-parter from the first run, issues 31 and 32, about a young gang thug and how a music box helps him change his ways. There is also a nod to Morpheus as MK enters the dream realm. It also has an issue based all around a multi-story fight scene that would make the Netflix Daredevil flinch. It's an amazing series that is held as some of the best Moon Knight ever created. Also, Shelby's art has had such an impact that Mr Knight is now considered one of the favoured personalities. The series carried on for two more short runs, the second by Brian Wood, with art by Greg Smallwood, and the third by Colin Bunn, with several different artists. They vary in quality, but they did give us the first Greg Smallwood Moon Knight, which is beautiful. There are several things in the 17 issues that are worth noting. The first is that Konshu is back as a figure with which Mark interacts. Now he is in a white suit with a cobweb bird skull for a head. However, it is not clear if he is an actual god or a figment of his imagination. It's a rocky relationship but they seem to rely on one another. It seems that we leave Mark continuing his work as Moon Knight as the series ends. However, in 2016, Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood take Mark on a journey through his very psyche and his true origins. The 14-issue series that started in 2016 is not just a superb Moon Knight story. It's a classic comic Working together and employing the help of several other artists, they utilise the comic medium to create a story that couldn't be told in any other way. Mark wakes in a draconian asylum, receiving treatment and sharing the institute with people from his past, Crowley, Gina and even Marlene. But is this real? Was his life as Moon Knight all a delusion? Or... Is this the work of Set? The series works through a three-act structure that travels deeper and deeper into Mark's mind and past. Lemire gives us a goodbye to so many characters that have gone before and opens the door to a bright new future. We learn about Mark's mental health problems as a child and his time in the military and how he has had to deal with it all by creating these new personas. Going through this journey, Mark learns to accept all aspects of himself and understands that they are him, and he can now also control Khonshu, whether he is an aspect of his mental illness, an ancient Egyptian god, or an interdimensional being. This is a true line drawn in the sand for the character. He has reached a new equilibrium and is ready to move on to become a new hero. I would honestly put this run on par with some of the best comics written. This is like Alan Moore's Saga of the Swamp Thing, 
Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, Andy Diggle's Green Arrow Year One, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, or Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk in redefining a character. I cannot overstate how much I love this run. It's so well worth seeking out. With Mark able to move forward, we get a new series in 2017 from Max Bemis, with art from Jason Burroughs. Bemis got the honour of taking Moon Knight to his 200th issue, and what a divisive trip it was. The first arc is pretty standard superhero fare, in which another counter to Moon Knight is created. In the past they have gone dark, like Black Spectre. In this case, we get a fire-wielding killer called the Sun King, who forms a cult and worships Ra, the Sun God. It's a fun romp that leads to Mark accepting the power of crazy in a daft conceit, and the rest of the run doesn't really get past that. However, there are some highlights worth calling out. The first is that since we last saw her in Shadowland in 2010, Marlene has had a daughter the child of Jake Lockley. The other is that we get a glimpse even further back into Mark's childhood and see the trauma that may have instigated his mental health issues. The series ends yet again with Mark ready to take on crime as Moon Knight and working with his aspects. It's been a long and complicated road for Mark Spector, some good, some awful, but some grade a top flight comic entertainment. I've been talking for ages, and only really scratched the surface of the character, but I wanted to give an overview of his history. He is growing in popularity, and that's awesome. It means I'm going to get more Moon Knight comics, and that's brilliant. But there are so many more things to talk about. I haven't addressed his father being a rabbi, and how being of Jewish descent has been utilised well on occasion. Or really delved into the question of whether Khonshu is a real Egyptian god, an aspect of Mark or a parasitic interdimensional being. And on the back of that, Mark's mental health issues, and how this is both a blessing and a curse. It can be used to great effect, or as an easy, heavy-handed tool to explain something away. I'm hoping that this has given you a glimpse into the character, and makes you want to go and seek out more information and more books to read, as I have mentioned, all of his early appearances has now been collected in three volumes of the Epic Collection, and his later series have been collected in trade paperbacks. However, some series are pretty tough to track down these days. There is also a gaping gap, running from 1989 to 2006. But you can find issues of Mark Spector Moon Knight and the miniseries Resurrection Wars and High Strangers on eBay. But they do vary in price and quality. The hope is that the character becomes more popular, and these will be collected and released. And hopefully in time for the show to be made. There's so much more for this character, there's so many different aspects to the character that people need to see, to understand, I think, to really appreciate who Moon Knight is. Anyway, as I say, I've dipped into it really with this show, we've been going for an hour, and yet I've only really scratched the surface. I don't feel like I'm done. So... This is only going to be part one of my Moon Knight retrospective, as a Moon Knight a spotlight on Moon Knight. In part two, I'm going to be calling on my good friend Ray from the Into the Night podcast, a Moon Knight podcast. Now, if you're going to be calling on anybody, it's these guys. He is a walking encyclopedia, he knows his stuff, and it's going to be a fantastic conversation. Me and Ray have... Uh, worked on a few things in the past and I'm really excited to have him on 20th Century Geek to talk about Moon Knight. 
But more than that, uh, on this podcast, there's one more treat, one more little snippet. A final musical interlude. We're going to be played out this evening by Delita, a band that have put together an EP called The Other Void, an EP dedicated to Moon Knight, and we're going to have their single, Box, playing us out. I really recommend it. Try and find them. They are on Bandcamp, that's bandcamp.com, and that is Delita, D-E-L-E-T-E-R, and the album's called The Other Void. Seriously, check it out. Uh, You can get a sample of it this evening. Okay, so there we've had it. We've had our episode one of our Moon Knight Spotlight. And we're going to have Rayon next week. So let's, if you want to talk about Moonlight, if you want to reach out into the other void and uh, discuss comics or Moonlight with me, please let me know. Find me on uh, email at 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. On social media, uh, that's Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and Instagram. All of it under at 20thCenturyGeek. So please find us. Of course, we've got other things going on. We have got a Patreon page. That's 20th Century Geek Patreon page, where I do two other podcasts uh, there with basically myself looking at films with a less than reputable reputation and just asking the question, are they really that bad? And then I get together with my non-nerdy wife to watch nerdy programmes and see how she reacts to some of those shows. Uh, and finally, of course, if you don't want to be contributing to Patreon, we have got an Amazon wish list, and we've got a couple of things on there. If you want to go in there and buy some second-hand books and dedicate them over to 20th Century Towers, really appreciate it. And if you don't want to do that, and that's fine if you don't want to, but of course you could always go on your podcast catcher and leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. Let us know what you love about the show, and if you don't love the show, Fine, let us know that too. We'll see what we can do about it to make you convert. Okay, guys, well, thanks very much, and uh, I'll see you again soon. Yes.